there's not going to be any right answer, any wrong answer to this. I think it's just going to be a fun discussion no matter what we, uh, what we say here. Yeah, definitely. Not trying to get it in the middle of a pissing contest, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everyone, if you weren't following us on Facebook, then you may have missed the announcement. But the Res- Russell's Reserve bottles that were chosen as part of episode 105 with Ed Bly of Corkin Bottle, Reed and Emerald of 1789B Lock and Key Society, Julio's, along with us, Jimmy Russell, Nick the Chaos from Bourbon Mafia, and a few more went on sale finally. There were three barrels and they're all pretty much gone at this point. If you see a picture of the back of the bottle, then you would know why. It just looks awesome. Of course, not everybody was able to make it to Northern Kentucky to pick up a bottle. So that's going to be our next big Facebook giveaway. This giveaway will begin tomorrow. And it's actually really good timing because Ed is one of our guests today on the show. I did my best to pick a fight, but everyone was cordial. I know this is a highly debated topic and with fall release season soon around the corner, it's going to be a topic that's going to be coming up again and again, countless times over the next few months. However, remember, If you like the show, support us on Patreon. Patreon's like a mix of NPR and Kickstarter, where you help us grow the show with your donation, and we can give you cool things like koozies, stickers, and t-shirts. Also, please write an iTunes review for us. It's the best possible way to give back to the show. This week's shout-out goes to Tafcat, who says, This is really the only bourbon podcast you need. These guys are professional, funny, and informative. They probably saved me lots of money letting me know about that $30 bottle that is good or better than that rare $150 bottle. Well, thanks, Tafcat, for calling us professional and funny. At this point, I think you're just inflating our egos a little bit. But with that said, enjoy this week's episode. Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Knows Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to knowsyourbourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. And they're off for another Get 270 2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable Gaming License ORG 000273. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof, 
And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com, and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits, and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon. Uh, this is going to be a, a fun one today. I mean, I am super excited. You know, uh, I'm going to be kind of a, a moderator. You know, we've uh, we've watched presidential debates and we've seen the screaming and pissing matches, and we don't want that to happen today, uh, as we kind of talked about a little bit before we started recording here. It's uh, it's going to be a fun discussion just because it's something that. Uh, we all, we all, everybody, everybody in the bourbon realm today has to deal with it. Um, you know, we, we do our best to try to be aligned with stores or be, um, you know, great customers, whatever it is. And then there's just other stores that, um, you know, they see the market for what it is and they, 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 they try to take advantage of, of what they could capitalize on the market today. And I mean, when you think about it, why wouldn't you, if you had something that was, uh, uh, valuable, you should probably, you should probably take the value where you can. It's, uh, as uh, my old uh, mentor Tupac said, trying to make a, a dollar out of 15 cents. I think that's what he said. But um, so let's uh, let's go ahead and introduce our guest today. So I've got uh, I've got two two great guests. So I've, first I've got uh, Angelo and Grotti. Angelo is a wine buyer for a store called Pepinos that is in New York City. So Angelo, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is exciting. Great. And then uh, the second, I've got Ed Blay, uh, or sorry, Ed Bly. I keep messing that up. You know, I think I've met you like five times. I keep saying it wrong. But uh, so Ed has been uh, uh, on the show before. He's a big fan of the show. Uh, and he is uh, works over at Cork and Bottle up in Northern Kentucky. So Ed, welcome back. Ah, thank you much. Much appreciated. Yeah. So this is, this is going to be a, a fun experiment, I guess you could say. And, and I definitely want to make sure everybody's friends at the end of this too. But the the idea and the topic of today is, do stores have the ability, whether they can justify charging secondary values or close to secondary values to capitalize on the market? And can they, can they charge what the market will bear? And I, I asked these two to come on today because we're dealing with two different segments. So Angelo uh, is in New York City, where it's typical to come across probably a lot of things that are higher than normal prices. They are uh, harder to get some of the allocations, um, you know, and they have a different clientele uh, versus what Ed has to deal with in Kentucky. And they have two different sides of the coin here uh, where, where Angelo kind of sees there, there is, could be a need to be able to charge what the market will bear in some cases where, where Ed probably doesn't. So I'm going to kind of hand it over to you first, Angelo. Um, so say I, I walk into a liquor store and um, you know, maybe your liquor store and I see a, a one, you know, something like a bottle that is behind me for me that's watching this video. And it's, uh, it's something that you just regularly can't get on the shelves every day. It's a, it's a typical item that would always go for uh three to four X value in the secondary market. What's kind of your thoughts on, on, on why storage could be able to charge a, a higher than MSRP for, for some of these highly allocated or, uh, you know, non-available bottles. So yeah, I think it all goes back to the, the distillery. And when this stuff is made, I think it's made for people to sit down together, have great conversations with each other, and, and to really just enjoy the beverage for what it is. And I think it's gotten to a point where 
we've become or we've made it where there's this so-called secondary market and it's it's kind of raised the value of of what what it is what the product is and i feel like the secondary market is kind of making us lose this whole point that this should just be something that's enjoyed the way the distillery wants it to be enjoyed so what what i mean when you look at what it takes to run a business, to operate a business, to start a liquor store, the amount of inventory that you're sitting on, considering all the rents and everything. I mean, New York City liquor stores, the, the rent alone is 15,000, you know, depending how big your liquor store. Ours is a hundred is square foot liquor store, of, you know, $10,000 a month. You know, a lot of this stuff, you have to justify it. Uh, in, in New York City, you'll never find Pappy Van Winkle at a retail price. I mean, never, ever, ever. Unless you know the liquor store owner and, and the, the owner doesn't even put it on the shelf and mm-hmm. you get it off the side, you know, but you'll never ever walk into a New York City liquor store and see anything at retail value. It's actually above secondary market value, which is scary. I mean, at our liquor store, we try to stay a little bit below secondary market value, you know, somewhere in between retail and secondary, you know, you try to give somewhat of a modest price. But you go to some of these other liquor stores that are charging $500 for the Pappy, uh, old Rip Brandwinkle tenure. It's like, what, you know, what are these people thinking? What's going through their minds? That I completely disagree with. You know, I don't think you should gouge anybody. But I do think that, you know, the, the two or three bottles we get a year allocated to us, you know, it, it, it comes to a point where we don't even want it. You know, the customer comes in, they buy that one bottle and we never see them again. We won't see them again until next year. So it's like, do I really want that bottle in my store? You know? Yeah, that's typical. I mean, there's definitely been some things where people try to get around that and having, uh, whether it's competitions or going to charity or something like that. But I can understand when you don't get a lot of inventory, it's it's hard to deal uh, and kind of, uh, you know, spread it out, uh, especially among the herd of, of whoever's in there. And, and I know as, as you were mentioned before we come on the show that, that, uh, you know, your store has not even been open a full year yet. Right. So, um, finding those, those long time or those, uh, loyal customers, you're still experimenting with that, that kind of process to be able to even, uh, help those particular people out. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's, you know, you, you don't want to make any enemies. You know, you want to make everyone happy. You know, years ago in New York City, liquor stores were all um, bulletproof, you know. Nowadays, the city's becoming a lot safer. You want people to feel comfortable when they walk in the store. So you don't, you don't want to make any enemies, you know. Mm-hmm. So, Ed, I'm going to pass it over to you a little bit. So, um, you know, I, I, you're typically one that, um, you know, you're not you're not saying like, all right, first come, first serve, whoever gets there. You, you do a few different things. But, um, you know, what's your idea behind just charging regular MSRP when, um, as Angelo said, you know, I, I've got something that's that's way more valuable uh, as somebody that is, um, you know, just trying to run a business and, and what it is. Why, why shouldn't I accept, um, you know, 100 percent over its its fair market value, uh, or sorry, it's, it's manufa- manufacturer suggested retail price. And then actually just take a, uh, you know, somewhere around it's, it's actual market value. I guess market value is really just determined about people that are willing to pay for it. So in our area, what I try to do is I try to use those type of special bottles to actually draw more people into our store and to create those sort of customers that we're looking for. I'm looking for people that want to come into our store all the time that, that pick up all, all different sorts of bottles, not just the most limited edition ones. So 
if I charge more than retail for it, bad taste in their mouth. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, it's all bourbon. Liquid. It's great. We like drinking it. It's it's not it's hard to explain, but at, at the same level, I, I don't want to make a bunch of people mad. Like Angela was saying, I want to try to please as many people as possible. By raising prices up very, very high on it, I, I honestly believe that it's creating the opposite effect. You may make one person happy that has the money to spend on it, but all the other people that come in and see it in your store are now mad at you. Mm-hmm. Down here, it's very, very, very competitive. We have some of the biggest liquor stores in the U.S. right in our area. So trying to get customers to come to our store in addition to those stores is an everyday challenge. And the last thing I want to do is turn anybody off to our store. So we use those type of bottles to draw people in, to to reward our good customers. And I personally don't like charging. I mean, it's not to me. You may make a few hundred bucks on that bottle. But the thousands that you'll lose in in negative advertising for your store negates any profits you would have made on that bottle. So let's. So for me, I, it's it's all about competitive. Okay, that's understandable. And I should also I should preface this um, that this this all this whole conversation started because of uh, something that Angela had posted on one of the groups, kind of, and this is kind of how it started um, in saying that is it fair for a customer to take like an E.H. Taylor four grain that is right now retail value seventy seventy dollars and resell it for two hundred fifty to three hundred and let's and let's take out a question um, that everybody's a saint and everybody just wants to buy bourbon for bourbon uh, because. We, we know that there's definitely people that, um, you know, they use that advantage to be able to go and get bottles and I'm sure they get them from cork and bottle too, and they go and they resell them. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just, it's just the nature of what it is. So do you think it's, it's still fair that you should be charging that price, even though they can turn around and just sell it, even though you only got, say, say you got two bottles of four grain, let's just hypothetically say it, you know, is it fair for them yeah. to just go around and sure. sell it than it is to just, um, you know, for you to be able to make that sort of cash for your store yourself? Again, I mean, that's like asking me if it's fair for me to sell it for more than what Buffalo Trace says that the bottle's worth themselves. It's all about value and subjective value. I mean, sure, is there there people that'll go out there and flip that bottle and make a lot of money on it? Maybe. They got to go home and sleep at night. I'm here in my store. I'm comfortable with the margins we make on on all the bottles in our store, and we do it pretty much across the line. Um, Mm -hmm. We try to be fair. And by being fair, we end up drawing more people and making more money on everyday products than we would on just one bottle. And I think that's where we're, we're kind of drawing the line. I, I'm not the bird of police. I can't stop people from making decisions and going out and buying stuff and, and, and not turning around and flipping it for more profits to somebody else that's willing to pay it. But I'm comfortable with the money that we make on the bottles for our store to be able to run our business model. Mm. So, so I don't need that extra 300 bucks off one bottle, which I'm going to end up losing three times as much in negative feedback on our store. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I think that's it. I think it's a little bit different, right? I mean, if you immediately started raising prices, yeah, I'm sure you're going to start getting negative feedback. But if it was just always like that, then maybe that's just what it is. And not only that is like, you have to think about the demographic in the area that we live in too, right? Uh, We all know, we all know the stores in Louisville and stuff like that to not go to because they do um, some of these tactics because there's plenty of stores that, that still charge retail and MSRP. And those are the ones that get frequented most. But as Angelo said, he lives in, you know, they're in New York city where it's like, that's, that's just not common anywhere. Like you can't find anything within, you know, 150 square miles to be able to try to find something that's at, 
at a retail sort of link. And so uh, this my is my response. Of, yeah, go ahead. Let me interrupt real quick. My response to that real quick is he has a prime opportunity to make a change up in New York. Mm-hmm. There has to be somebody that does something first. Why not take all that attention and turn it positive? Yeah. You know, I would, I would love to. The thing is we can't get our answers uh, stuff is, is the thing, you know? We literally, I've been open, and we've been open nine months. Always models that are like that for sure. Yeah, I've opened nine months. I got allocated one old Van 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 Winkle ten. It was just that was it. Just one bottle. What am I supposed to do with that? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. We do bottle. What what I do on our end, our end when I have those type of situations with one bottle, uh, like for instance, we did end up getting one of the old Rip Van Winkle decanters that came out. I got one bottle. Now, granted, there's 3,000 people looking for that bottle, but what I did with ours is we ended up turning it into uh, what's going to end up be a charity event to, to sponsor some uh, children's hospital that's near us uh, to try to raise money for it and use it as advertising. That's awesome. So you can't make everybody happy, that's for sure. I mean, yeah. totally can't make everybody happy, but when you have a bottle that's that well-known, it's an easy way to advertise for your store. And and the, the problem is that I run into is if you don't advertise correctly, then Bad advertising is even worse than good advertising. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's our take on it. And I totally get it. Up in New York is a whole other animal. But I will tell you this. Up in New York, I know for a fact there's a huge verdict following in New York City. Huge. I know a lot of guys up there. And word travels fast. So, yeah, there is. I, I want you to make sure that you guys are – definitely want to make sure you guys have the opportunity to be successful too. And I think you will. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. Like I was saying, the city is – you know, I, I've been here my whole life, and I've never really seen them so crazy about bourbon more so than today. Today is... It's, it's wild. It's absolutely wild. I love doing what I do just because of that. Everybody's so enthusiastic, and the enthusiasm is contagious, you know? And I see yeah. my customers enthusiastic, I get enthusiastic, and everybody has a good time. <laughs> <laughs> so, so here's another question. Um, and it's, I'll, I'll, it's, I'll, it's a tough market right now, for sure. <laughs> Yeah, I can imagine. So uh, I'll pass another question. I'll, I'll uh, pass this one to Angelo to you too. Um, and I, actually, I'll pass it to you first. And this was uh, kind, of, kind of coming from one of the comments that was on that thread. And they think that, uh, and I'm not going to say the names just for privacy purposes, but they believe that the reason that um, this is all happening is because Buffalo Trace is really the one to blame here. Uh, they think that they're putting insanely low prices on, uh, you know, market bearing bottles that are demanding, you know, something very, very high and they're not going to charge or change their, their MSRP. Now, do you think that that Buffalo Trace is maybe uh, short to blame in here? Because if automatically, if let's just, let's just take, for example, a George T. Stag that uh, is a regular market or sorry, MSRP, hundred dollar bottle, secondary market four or 500, whatever it is. If they were saying, well, we're just going to say MSRP is 350. And we're going to just go ahead and, you know, uh, cost of goods to you is 290 or 250 or whatever it is. Do you think that would be a more fair, uh, you know, way to start making this change in the market? Um, no, I wouldn't actually. I, I think what, what's going on is the bourbon is just very, very, very trendy right now. And, you know, I hate to say it, but trends have a beginning and they have an end. So, you know, when this trend deflates a little, what, what I think what Buffalo Trace wants is to be known for having affordable beverages that they put out. 
and you know you don't you, you don't want to damage the brand. I do think they should raise their price a little bit. You know what I'm saying? But I don't think I don't think you should start seeing you know these crazy high end Scotch prices on bourbon bottles. You know. Um, and and I guess this is a question because maybe this is me being um, naive and I, I have no idea. So. Uh, is a bottle that's supposed to become MSRP supposed to be the same MSRP across the country because, uh, you know, just change of what, I mean, just New York being what it is, everything should be higher prices just because, mm. uh, there's no such thing as a hundred dollar hotel room in New York. And if you do stay there, you probably don't want to be there. Um, so I guess, is there, is there a reason or it should, I mean, should just prices just naturally be a little bit more, uh, MSRP in New York versus other parts of the country. And then not only including New York, but New York, San Francisco, um, to other, like, you know, large Metro kind of areas. Well, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what, what a liquor store looks like outside of New York, but I, I know we, we run somewhat of a 20% margin on, on liquor and 40 to 50% on wine. Um, and, and we, we try to stay true to, to that. Sometimes we go below the margins just, you know, to make people happy and try to be super competitive with our pricing on normal everyday stuff. Uh, when it comes to the specialty stuff, that's hard to get. I, you know, I think a, a margin, the, you know, close to 20 on liquor is, is totally appropriate. But that just uh, depends on, on the market. And, and in New York City, like I said, it's, it's, you know, it's a tough city because everything is priced more. The taxes are higher. Your rents are higher. You're, you, know, you, have to employ, you have to pay your employees a higher minimum wage if you pay the minimum wage. Uh, everything just costs more here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that's where you see that that's why you see a lot of these liquor stores charging these crazy amounts. Now these liquor stores, I walked into one, uh, in November and they are still sitting on these bottles that they got in November. You know, I think, oh, I hope that if they were to lower the prices, let's, you know, the, the happy Van Winkle 10, the old Rip Van Winkle 10, it's supposed to go for 300. If they would, if they would put it at 250, that thing would move. Someone would buy it at 250, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a fair price, you know, for a liquor store in New York City. Do I think a liquor store in, in Louis uh, in Louisville, Kentucky, or Kentucky could get away with paying 250? Absolutely not. I mean, because that's the home. That's where it comes from, right? So, you know, I think uh, they should be different prices depending on what on what their demographic and what their city is. Because, in, in all honesty. New Yorkers get paid a lot more than somebody who would, I don't know, in like Alabama or something. Our, our income is a bit higher, you know? So, yeah, we can get away with charging a little bit more. Is it, but, but that's because everywhere we go, we're being charged a little bit more. So, Ed, I'll, I'll kind of pass that question over to you now. I mean, do you, uh, I mean, I think Angela get a great response that, uh, you know, is it really distillery to blame? Uh, with all this, like, should they charge higher prices? And I think he gave a great answer saying that this is just a, a trend and trends come and they go. Um, do you think that, that there's, there should be more pushback from the distillery to uh, raise their prices, to keep a, you know, keep kind of a, a fair level game when it comes to actually seeing uh, market prices? With Buffalo Trace in particular, no. Um, the reason I say that is because Buffalo Trace has been putting up a ton of juice happen in four years or five years when that when that starts coming to be matured they're going to have a ton of juice that's going to hit the market and if they're at too high of a price point it's just going to sit one thing that buffalo trace has been really daggone good at is marketing 
Um, I've seen other marketing places with other brands that have just come up with off the wall stuff. And Buffalo Traces is real easy. They're they're very upfront about the products that they have. They're real upfront about what they think they're worth. And I I don't disagree with them. I think that they're right on par with what they should be price wise. The other thing they got to look at is sustainability. Is the market going to burst? I don't think it's going to burst the way people think it's going to. I really don't. I think it's going to continue. It just may not be as peak as it is right now. I mean, over the years, whiskey's done this off and on, especially bourbon. It's gone peaks and valleys with the way they're doing it. And I think by the way they're marketing it now, they're trying to make it sustainable for the future so it doesn't have so many peaks and valleys. So it may fall off a little bit. Possible it may fall off a little bit. But uh, overall, I think their pricing is right on par. I understand Angela's point about things costing more in New York City and the cost of living being much higher up there than it is here. And there's definitely some merit to that. Uh, I think, again, though, that there's a huge opportunity there to take over the liquor business in the small storefront just through price. I mm-hmm. don't know. I mean, he's up there more than I am for sure. That's for sure. But on our end, where they're priced at is very fair. I think for what they're putting out and the product there is, that it's very fair. I think where they're manipulating the market a little bit is by how much they're releasing. I know there's more stock there than what they're leading on to. I mean, just through the barrel picks alone, when we did our Eagle Rare pick, I mean, I'm being told by my reps there's not enough Eagle Rare to keep it on the shelf. But all the barrels we were picking were 11 and a half years old. So they're obviously older stock, which means that there is more inventory there that they're not putting in bottles to hit the stores. That's a way to control the market. That's a way to make something popular that maybe wasn't quite as popular to begin with. It's the craft beer method. The best way to make something popular is to make it unavailable. You haven't seen Blanton's on the shelf up here in forever. Um, I haven't seen Weller. I haven't seen old Weller Antique since before Christmas up here as far as normal bottles go. We only get Weller 12 once a year. That's how they're controlling the market. And it makes sense. And it's a good move on their part to keep the interest building and keep their brand going because now they don't have to advertise as much because everybody's doing it for them. Everybody that walks in the store is asking for Weller or Blanton's or, or Eagle Rare or whatever it is. It's a great way to do it without having to raise your without raising your prices and still seem like the good guy, which they are. They're good people down there. So I think that's how the, how best they can control it and sustain the future. And I think they're doing a pretty good job at it. So I, on our level, where it's at, pricing is just fine. So uh, maybe maybe you can uh, try to answer a question that I have and kind of direct it towards Angelo because this is something that Terry Bowen actually brought up in the chat. And he says, you know, this we're talking about limited releases right here, and this is kind of where it all it all is, you know, the the market playing whatever it is, whether you want to call it price gouging, profiteering, or doing whatever. But he says, don't most liquor stores, you know, make more of their money on selling the volume of everyday stuff versus the limited releases? And how do you, I guess the, the question really is, is like, how do you start really gauging those those good customers uh, that actually are going to keep you in business, say, after this bubble bursts? Um, with our end, it's it's easy because, I mean, we're in the store. We see everybody that walks in a store. I got a 10,000 square foot store here, so it's not too big to where I can't see every person that walks through the door. My good customers aren't the ones that spend the most here. My good customers are the ones that keep coming back and buying our store picks and asking for recommendations and generally just coming in and saying hi. Those are the customers I want. I want people that come in the store that feel comfortable coming in, tell their buddies about us. I, I mean, as far as the high-end customers go, the majority of those are our corporate accounts here. So I don't get, uh, I don't, I don't see the necessarily the super high-end stuff going to them. They're 
we're helping them. They're helping us. It's a mutual agreement. Um, my best customers are by far the people that just come into the store and represent the store and talk about our picks online and taste our picks and buy our picks and, and just everyday shoppers. Those are the people I want to reward. They're the people I want to keep coming back. I want to thank them for helping us. So I, when I do that, I sell them the bottles that we do sell them. And, and we do 98% of what we do is gone through a raffle. So they have the most entries in there too. And they usually end up winning at least once a year. It's amazing. The people that come in all the time are the ones that win. It's funny how that works. <laughs> you know, <laughs> It's not rigged. It's not anything like that. There's just more names in the pot for them. So and, uh, I like to be able to sit down and share pour with them. That's good. That's good information. And so I, I'll, I'll kind of point another question to you, Angelo. Um, and this, this might be because of, you know, just your, uh, and, and really it, it goes to both of you because, um, this is another kind of topic that somebody had set up and they said that, you know, small mom and pop shops are losing a lot of money because of the allocation process of what it is today. And, uh, perhaps reps are favoring the big box stores, uh, and people that have, uh, I guess you say multiple locations, multiple stores, they have a bigger footprint and those are the ones that are getting the allocation. Uh, I guess, Angela, do you, do you kind of see that being a problem uh, on the distributor side that they're, they're favoring um, the wrong people or they're not giving the smaller shops a, a fair advantage? Well, yeah, I, I can't say yes or no. Cause I, I really don't know what goes on behind, you know, behind the scenes at the, at, at the distributorships, you know, empire uh, over here in New York, empire is the one that distributes, Happy Van Winkle and, and the whole Buffalo Buffalo Trace line. So, you know, I don't know what goes on in their offices, but, it, you know, not only do we pay a lot, we also have very, very small space here in uh, New York City. So we don't have essentially room in the basement to store a 75 case drop of things, I don't know, like Jameson or something like that. So it's... Um, Sometimes you may have the capital, the buying power to buy 75 cases of an item, but you don't necessarily have the place to store it. So then you have to put it on bill and hold and you're being charged you know, 50 cents per case per month. So that comes in an additional fee. Um, but in terms of, of, of them being fair with the allocations and we don't know what other liquor stores get. And I mean, I would hope that they're fair. I know recently... Buffalo Trace left Southern to go to Empire in New York City because of some, you know, shady back-end deals that Southern was doing. But, you know, I don't know what's true behind that or not, you know, and and hopefully they, they fixed it out, you know, and, and everyone's being treated fairly. But it doesn't make sense to me because I'm supposed to call on the 31st at the end of the, the last day of the month to get my allocation for next month. And... I call and they say it's sold out, sold out. We're sold out of the inventory. Okay, so next month, the allocation sheet comes out again. And guess what's on the allocation sheet? What they sold out last month. So it's just like, are they really, really, really sold out of this item? Or are they just holding it back to create much more of a demand? Or are they giving it to somebody else? What do you think? What do you think? On our, I think on our end, they've been Republic's been really fair with uh, the Buffalo Trace stuff. I tell our our Sazerac rep all the time. I'm like, you have the worst job in the world. I would not want your job because <laughs> you, you basically have a full por- portfolio of stuff you can't sell. It's like, <laughs> so how do you make a living? You know, um, I I think that for the most part they've been real fair about how they do them over here. I know some of the bigger stores get bigger allocations than we do, but 
quite honestly, they should. They do bigger volume with them. I, I totally understand. That's not an issue on my part. I think we get a pretty fair allocation for what we get. What we'd like to see more, absolutely. But I'll, I'll deal with what I got. No, that's that's really good, and I think you guys are definitely hitting on um, a lot of the things that are are hitting in a, a lot of people's ways. Uh, you know, just because of this is something that everybody kind of deals with, whether you're inside the bourbon realm or not. Is um, you know, do you do you go ahead and you fork over whatever it is to be able to have your hands in the bottle, um, or do you uh, just kind of say, "We'll wait it out, ride the wave. Prices will go down at some point, hopefully." You know, whatever it is. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point of sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's point of sale Go Mobile device for a battle tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. And so I guess uh, this is actually another question from Eric, uh, Eric Rugg. Uh, he says, do, do store owners get tired of people asking, do you have any X, you know, not Pappy, but just <laughs> things like Weller 12 or Old Weller Antique or H. Taylor Barrel Proof, uh, those kinds of things. Well, I mean, uh, from, from, from my end, you know, I, we want to create a community. We want to create, we want to make people happy. I think that's why, you know, we have this drive or this passion to, 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 to own or run a business. And when someone comes in and says, can you get me this bottle, bottle X? And I and, and deep down inside, I know I can. It's not, it's not possible. I, there's a part of me that feels bad that I can't make this, I can't provide this for this person. You know, because when you open up a store, you think you want to make as much people around you as happy as possible. But, you know, it hurts a little that you can't really. And it's not, it's, it has nothing to do with the money or the, or the profit of it. I really just want to provide that bottle to this person that wants it. Mm-hmm. What about you, Ed? Because I know you, you know, being in the heart of Kentucky, we, we I, get, I, especially for anybody that's getting into bourbon, I'm sure they go to your store and it's the first, <laughs> first time you've ever seen them and they just start hammering you with questions and you're just kind of like, you kidding me, buddy? And I get that a lot. I mean, the midsummer pappy questions always make me smile. <laughs> that person I know right off the rip is probably not that big into bourbon or somebody else sent them in there um, to, to try to find something for them that's out of the area. And that happens almost daily here. And it doesn't bother me. It really doesn't because that gives me a chance to engage them. And when I can engage a customer, then I can give them a chance to maybe try something they haven't tried before or one of our store picks or something along that lines and, and give them the opportunity to find something that's obtainable that's still really good. So if they're looking for, uh, you know, a shelf trophy or something like that, that's not uh, that's not necessarily what we're about. But I can definitely point them in the right direction of good stuff to drink. All right. So and, 
Angela, I'll, I'll kind of direct this one to you. Um, so we, we kind of, we, we've established the fact that there is a, a 9,900 foot difference between your two stores, right? So uh, in regards of buying power, in regards of uh, stock and stuff like that, um, I, I guess, what do you think is the, and, and there's, I'm, I don't know um, if there's BevMo's in New York. I haven't really gone liquor store shopping in New York, right? So I have no idea like how, what, you know, the sizes of some stores could possibly be compared to yours. Um, but I mean, like, what do you think is like, a, you know, you already talked about the, you know, having to store things and, and getting charged for that, um, you know, by just holding it uh, on site at the distributor. But what are the, some of the advantages that some of these bigger stores have to be able to get allocations that um, keep them maybe, Price fairer than the market or anything like that. I mean, a lot of the a lot of the advantages that they have is they just they have the space. It's a spacing thing, and and with the space comes the the availability to hold uh, or sit on a on a higher dollar amount in terms of inventory, and then the higher dollar amount of inventory, a company like Empire will go back and say and say, well, this person has spent X amount of dollars in the past year. You know, I, I don't know if they base their allocations upon the well. They 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 should base their allocations upon historical historical um, activity. So I would say, yeah, if they if they're spending millions and millions of dollars, one liquor store spending millions and millions of dollars with Empire, of course they're going to get a better. They're going to have the opportunity to get more of an allocation than, let's say, the liquor store that only spends five hundred thousand dollars a year from you know through Empire. It, it's a good and it's a bad, but you know, having that power is is amazing, um, especially in this industry. You know, but it also is so. It's like like Biggie Small says: more money, more problems. <laughs> you know, you know, you brought into a lot of problems. Now you're sitting on a bigger inventory. You, you you run the risk of potentially losing things. You run the risk of potentially breaking things. You know, um, a, a lot more than when you have a smaller inventory. But it's all about movement. I think it's not. It's not about how how much inventory you're sitting on. It's how much how fast can you move it? How how, how fast can you can you fluctuate through it and get rid of it? Because if you could, if you're a small store but you're moving, you're fluctuating. It's, it's very fluid. Then you can buy more. So so you know size is yeah. Of course size is important, but it's it's also about how busy you are too. I think that's uh, I think that's spot on. Um, I, I don't have room to keep 150 cases of much of anything on my floor. Uh, we got too many other things going on there to be able to do that. So as, as far as, as turn and burn, we're in the same boat, Angelo. Uh, I'm, I'm in the land of giants around us. I got the second biggest liquor store in the U.S. up the street from us. So we just don't have the square footage to be able to do the huge case deals. So I try to target specifically hot moving items, make sure we keep good case deals on those and be able to price them out to where we're more than competitive on them. In fact, we're cheaper than a lot of places that are around us, but it's, use, a, use them as a draw to get people in, but I'm with you hundred percent. It shouldn't be about what you got hiding in your upstairs or in your basement. It should be what you got on the floor and what, what you're actually selling. That should be the most important. And I mean, do you do you guys really think that it's it's going to be based upon how much fireball and everything that you sell to be able to get more allocation? And and if it is, like, how do you how do you continually try to keep that uh, rotating through to to keep you know that product moving? See, I heard about that in California. I heard uh, they had to buy so many cases of fireball in order to be able to get any Van Winkle. And I know I'm pretty certain Julian is not happy about that at all, but. Uh, 
yeah, and up here, I don't have that issue. I mean, we carry all the Sazerac products uh, for the most part, and we push Sazerac, of course, because it helps with allocation numbers. Um, but I don't, I don't have a guilty conscience of pushing any Sazerac products. Most of the ones I've tasted are decent for what they are. So it all works out. Because I know you're waiting for that single barrel pick of Fireball, fireball. to come around. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. barrel-proof Fireball, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so Angelo this is I guess me learning like the New York market you know and a store like yours like what's something what's a typical item that you you churn through a lot of inventory on a regular basis that you can uh you know you guys have to just continually keep buying you know whether it's Bud Light or Burnett's vodka or whatever it is yeah uh, Tito's Tito's is big Jameson well, we're in a, we're in an Irish neighborhood so a lot of Jameson um yeah, I would say those are our two like big ones. In terms of bourbon, people they're coming in and they're buying they're buying uh, Jack Daniels and, and they're buying Maker's Mark. It, the bourbon trend uh, in my in my neighborhood, at least in Brooklyn, uh, isn't as popular as it is in the rest of, of New York and the country. But uh, it's, it's I would say our store is mainly Tito's and, and Jameson, and those are the two big ones. We have them on display too. Nice. So I will say that we used to do Tito's quite a bit down here, but ever since Buffalo Trace released the Wheatley Vodka, I'm going to tell you now, we push the living heck out of it because it's a great vodka, and it also helps us with allocations too. Yeah, uh, th- That's the other hard thing about the liquor business that I've noticed is is pushing the right brands that, one, you're right about pushing because of quality, but two, the ones that help you also. And uh, we we became the Northern Kentucky number one account for Wheatley Vodka, and it got me an extra barrel pick out of it just simply by telling people the truth. So That's every awesome. time you can find one of those little little things that'll help you out along the way, those they're great to latch onto. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Angela, I mean, do you typically keep like MSRP prices on some of those everyday brands, whether it is Maker's Mark or Evan Williams or Jim Beam and stuff like that, or is or even with that comes a, a typical just higher price tag just for New York? No, 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 no. We, in terms of in terms of pricing in the neighborhood, we try to be as competitive as possible. As possible, like I said earlier, like I think liquor store standard is probably like a twenty percent markup on liquor, and we try to run between fifteen to twenty. Um, we try to stay below just so we can be competitive. Um, you want to create an environment, I think, that's comfortable for someone to come into. And then it's not just warm and welcoming. You want the prices to be comfortable as well. Absolutely. And so I, I guess another question for you, Angelo, is well, let's, um, let's fast forward 12 months uh, from here. And uh, this podcast goes viral. Sazerac loves you. And they they give you a, a vertical of each antique and 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 um, you know, Van Winkle lineup and, you know, a handful of Elmer's and some of that other good stuff. Right now, when we think about this, um, and we kind of come back to this episode, you know, when you think about the pricing in that aspect, you know, is, is an extra $200 that you would make on a barrel or sorry, a bottle really going to help keep the doors open uh, at the end of the day and, and help actually put towards the bottom line of, you know, making sure that the, you know, your rents due and all that sort of stuff. Um, or is it, or is it really, do you, do you still see it maybe possibly taking advantage of, of a customer at this point? Um, and again, it kind of goes back to clientele and stuff like that, but I just kind of want to gauge your, your, uh, your response. Generally speaking, no, I mean, we don't want, we'd rather not have the product than, than have the opportunity to gather someone, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I don't want to lose somebody because 
three people are asking for this product and I had to sell it to somebody and, and, and the other two people got upset, you know? So in, in that case, it's, it's, it becomes more of a headache than, than something to do good with. So if, if that's the case, if, if I'm given a product uh, with an extreme allocation, I, I mean, I would just rather not have it. If Buffalo Trace or Sazerac is going to give me that whole lineup, uh, you know, in X amount of bottles, I, I, would, I would love to take the opportunity um, it, it, to start lowering the market price, the secondary market price in New York. I wouldn't necessarily go retail, but I would definitely go a lot lower than secondary. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't think anybody's going to be able to convince you to just start charging MSRP on anything on these allocated bottles, are we? <laughs> well, well, don't get me wrong, I would love to. Uh, but one, I don't have them. And two, no one else is doing it. You know what I mean? If, <laughs> if I had the whole lineup, I would, I, would, I, I, I would probably do 25 to 30%. Right. Which is understandable, especially yeah, for, like fair. I said, New York. For sure. That's way fair. I think uh, with our end, what I, what I end up doing, Angelo, and a lot of the stuff, when we get allocated bottles, we're in the same boat as you. I'm not going to get, you know, cases and cases and cases and cases of anything, not, not in the area that I'm in. So what I, what I prefer to do is hold them all until we do either the lottery every day, uh, every month, or at the end of the year, we also do a large draw for our top end customers. So we'll put a bunch of different ones together and, you know, reward them all for shopping with us. So we do it all at retail when we do that. But yeah, 25% on, on a limited bottle, certainly not gouging by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. That's, that's more than fair. Well, it, you know, it, it would be easier in New York if, if we were legally allowed to do a lottery. We were not legally allowed to do a lottery. Is it? Uh, I'm not. I'm not familiar with New York's laws. Is it they won't let you just give somebody a ticket if they only buy something, or are you not allowed to do a draw, a raffle, in any way, shape, or form? We're not allowed to do a draw or a raffle in any way, shape, or form. What pertaining nice. to a specific bottle? Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. I mean, That's if that was the case, it would be so much easier because, it, in a sense, a lottery on a bottle that we only get one of is a lot more fair than having. Yeah. On our end, to pick somebody, I'm with say, you. You can buy this, you know, or we're going to give it to you. A lottery, in my sense, is a lot more fair. Yeah, yeah, I get it. The other, the other suggestion would be to, you know, keep track of your people that come in on a daily basis. You'll know them just by seeing them and just reward them, you know. And don't do the same person every time because that's that's one of the negative things on our part that seems to happen a lot. Is oh, we're rewarding our best customers, but it's always the same best customer who happens to be the store owner's buddy. You know, that happens a lot down here. Yeah, definitely. So, so well, to yeah. go back to what you asked earlier, I think if if the lottery system was fair, we would do complete uh, MSRP, complete retail value. Yeah. Because there's no, you know what I mean? You know, I, I, the only thing I could tell you is, is, you know, get together with maybe a couple of the liquor stores up in your area that are having the same trouble as you and all go to the government and get it changed. Uh, it's happened down here in Kentucky. Yeah. You know. Now that uh, now with the uh, House Bill 100 hitting, all of a sudden it's the Wild West again with uh, limited stuff and, and old product lines and all that kind of good stuff being sold back to stores and bars. It's got to so, kind of push it. <laughs> cool. So I've got I've got kind of like one more here that I, I want to talk about. And this is um, so it was back on this thread and it was uh, it was from somebody else who wrote this huge, long thing. 
And and when I look at it, it she had a very funny point. It said, uh, I would argue that in raising retail price, um, you're cutting the distillery and distributor out of their quote unquote fair share. So why should you be able to benefit financially when we've been clear that we believe our our prices are fair at MSRP? So Angela, I'll, cut, I'll kind of let you respond to that one. Well, I think I responded to her directly. And it's, I think she was attacking the liquor store owner and there are so many hands, there's so many parties, you know, there's a distillery, there's a distributor, there's the owner, and then there's the customer and it has to be fair for everybody, not just the distillery and the customer, you know, it has to be fair for everyone in between. So yeah, I mean, the prices, like I said, they need to be fair and they need, and right now I, I think they're, they're getting a little too out of hand in the secondary market. So, you know, yeah, I would love to see um, Buffalo Trace do something about it. I would love to see Sazerac do something or even just issue a statement, you know, saying that they're aware of this. That's what I would like to see. What if what if we just what if we just kicked you and Ed out of all the all the secondary market Facebook groups and then you have no idea what's going on? <laughs> I mean, I like to be very active in those secondary market Facebook groups. Just it's more of like an education of as to see some things that that you've never we can't even see here in New York. You know, I just I just purchased a bottle of uh, of uh, Heaven Hill, the white label, six year bottle and bond. You know, I'm excited to try it. You know, a bottle I've never seen. A bottle doesn't come to New York, you know, and it'd be really cool. But, you know, I, I use that for, I use the secondary market group, uh, you know, on, on things like Facebook for, for more uh, of my personal use. Those bottles, it's, it's highly illegal for me to bring any of those bottles into the store because they can go and check the invoices. So those things, they, they're mainly for my personal use. Right. Uh, and then I guess, uh, so one of the last questions uh, just kind of came up and Terry Bone just asked it. Um, you know, when we talk about the distributor, talk about the distiller, uh, and and there's also one other important person here, and that's Uncle Sam. Uh, so we got this hand in the middle. So if the prices are being raised in the stores in New York City, um, is is the government also getting their fair share of that as well? Or is that sometimes usually just a cash under the table kind of deal? I mean, at our liquor store, we, we pay sales tax on everything. Uh, everything's rung up through the POS system. Nowadays, with, you know, with uh, electronic POS systems, we, we don't have an old school cash register where money just goes in, you know, we just ring them up. Everything, ours is, a, is an internet-based POS system, so everything is monitored, no matter what comes in or what goes out. Our inventory come, when our inventory comes in, it goes into the POS system. When our inventory is sold, it goes out of the POS system. And there's no way of altering the POS system. It is what it is. So everything's monitored. So you really can't mess around. And yeah, so the government totally would get their fair share. Um, if, if, if we charged, which we would never do, but if we charged a 500% markup on something, the government would get their fair share of the sales tax for sure. Gotcha. Well, with that, uh, I'll let it kind of go. If you guys have any sort of closing statements or anything like that, you know, I think we've uh, we've kind of hit it around. You know, we've 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 definitely, uh, you know, I'm always one to say like I'd love to pay MSRP, but I don't live in New York, so you know, it's it's something that I, I've never really been accustomed to. Even though I will be up there in a few weeks, but I don't really plan on going bourbon hunting. It's uh, I know that either the city's pit clean, and after talking to Angelo, I just realized that eh, there's probably not a point, right? So uh, so. <laughs> So I'm probably not going to be doing that, but it's, um, you know, it's, it's definitely been good to kind of hear the arguments, uh, that this is, this is not just something that is, 
you know, I mean, I guess it is, it happens everywhere in regards of raising prices, but I think what Angela was trying to say, and there's definitely different parts of the U S that it could be warranted, right. Whether it is the demographic because people in New York are going to get paid, uh, you know, on average, um, you know, 75 to 150% more than somebody else in, uh, rural us or something like that. Right. So there, there are definitely some things that, that do take into this. And as, as Terry bone likes to put it, um, the, the S in MSRP is suggested, right? So it doesn't necessarily mean anything. That's true. Definitely a lot of thought, a lot of merit to that statement. <laughs> I really appreciate you having me on, Kenny. This has been fun. I really enjoyed it. Thank you, Ed. And thank you, Angelo, as well, uh, for, for chiming in here. It was definitely great to, to kind of hear something from the other side of the coin. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I mean, if I, if I may just say, I mean, like I said, when I first when we first started talking about this, I think at the end of the day, the whole point of having things like, you know, just having liquor, having bourbon is to sit down with someone and enjoy a conversation. And, you know, so if I could just, you know, say that if we could just, you know, just if it could just all be a little bit fair and everyone can just sit down and enjoy it and just just take a step back and just really appreciate it for what it is. It would be really, really, really nice to see. So I'll, I'll throw one more chicken and egg scenario at you with the secondary market. Who's to blame the buyer or the seller? Uh, I, uh, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> is there a right or a wrong? I don't know. I, I deep down inside, I want to say it's the buyer. You know, I'll give you an example. I put a uh, in search of, uh, on the secondary market a few days ago, I was looking for old brand Winkle 10 and someone said, how much you want to pay for it? I said 300 and someone else chimed in and goes, I'll pay 350 for it. So <laughs> what a jerk in that, get your own post. I know exactly. Right? <laughs> he couldn't come up with his own post. He had to like chime in on mine. But in that situation, it's the buyer because the buyer is someone else is saying, I'll pay more for it. You know, that's just in that particular situation. So yeah. And just trying to figure out what the market will bear in a lot of these things. It's understandable. Yeah. Okay. So with that, we'll go ahead and we'll close this out again. Angelo, Ed, want to say thank you so much. Um, if anybody wants to go and see Angelo, you got to go to uh, Pepino's in New York City. And maybe you can go see Ed at Corcoran Bottle in Northern Kentucky. So uh, make sure you go visit these guys, uh, you know, especially if you're in New York City, you're listening to this. This is your opportunity to get in good, meet Angelo. And hopefully, uh, you know, he's, he said that if he gets some more, he's, he has an opportunity to kind of start cutting the cost down of, of what you can get in the city. So it's, it's definitely some good news for all of our listeners up there in New York. Uh, but if you have any show suggestions, send us an email at the com. Make sure you follow us on all those social media channels, Facebook, Instagram, uh, and Twitter. You can do that for probably both of these guys as well. Well, they're all over on social media. And uh, if you uh, make sure you share, share this podcast with somebody, you know, if somebody's actually getting into bourbon, uh, the best way to make them uh, educated is to say, go listen to this. Uh, bourbon Pursuit's going to, it's going to change your world about bourbon. Uh, at the same time, make sure you leave us some reviews on iTunes uh, and all those other good channels. And if you own, or if you are part of some company that wants to target, uh, you know, 
couple thousand people that listen to this podcast on a weekly basis. When I say couple, I'm talking like seven to 10,000. Uh, and please, please, please send me an email or go to our website, bourbonpursuit.com and look for the partnerships button. We're open to advertisers and sponsors to help support this podcast and keep it going. So with that, I want to say thank you again to our guests. It was a fun time. Great discussion. I don't think anybody's leaving with a broken heart. And I, I think uh, you guys, with your pissing match, you guys pissed about the equal distance. So it was great. <laughs> 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 Thanks, Kenny. <laughs> anyway, with that, we will uh, we'll see you all next week. Bye.